and the uh, impact that they had on my life. I trust you're praying for Amanda. I sense that in her life, that uh, this grandma was something special to this young lady. And so do remember her. And I trust you are also praying for Pastor Jeremy while he's away. How are you praying? Can I share with you how I'm praying? I'm praying daily, constantly, that uh, God will. God will speak to him like he's never heard from God before. That's the purpose of the sabbatical. You get along with God. And God will enrich his own heart, Jeremy's heart, that he will love the Lord with all of his heart, all of his soul, and all of his mind. That he'll come back to us as a man of God that God is going to use, even going forward in our local assembly. So make it, make it a positive thing. Pray for him uh, as you've never prayed for your pastor or any pastor before because that's the purpose of this sabbatical that he be renewed in his soul and reminded of his call and that God will, will just refresh him. Uh, you don't really know the heart of a pastor until you've been a pastor. All right? We pastors, we, we quit every Monday morning. You've heard it said, we resign every Monday morning because we just feel like we didn't communicate or things not going forward as we thought they ought to be going forward. So that's where, that's where your, your pastor is right now. I trust you're praying. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Malachi. We have children's church today. No children's church? All right, well, you guys bear with me. I will try to keep it as short and simple as I possibly can. Book of Malachi, I have the assignment this morning of reading or a pastor or preaching through the text that Pastor left off with last week. Malachi chapter 6, chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. So, follow along as I read. Because I, the Lord, do not change. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have turned away from my statutes and have not kept them. This is the title, next three words of my message this morning. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you're cursed with the curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessings without measure. I will rebuke 
the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your land, and the vine of your field will not fall or fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then do these things, then the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this text. I pray that uh, as we hear it, as your people, your children, we will understand it. I pray that I will have the capacity to deal with this text in a way that uh, the heart of man is seen, the heart of God is seen in the text, that we will see that uh, you reward the faithful and that you are a, a withholder of those things that we could have if uh, we're not faithful in these areas. So bless the preaching today is my prayer in Christ. Amen. Return to God. As I begin, I need to establish the text. Who, who is saying this? He tells us in verse 6, he says that I, the Lord, do not change. God is the same from the day I, I, that he began. And there is no beginning. Interesting story. I got a five-year-old uh, great-grandson, actually. Came home the other day, and he asked his mom, where did God come from? Good question. Mom, she immediately got on her phone and I could go and find it a text about that long. She says, Papa, Jace asked me this question today. Where did God come from? And uh, I text her back and uh, I said, God didn't come from anywhere. God has always been in existence. God had no beginning, and God will have no ending, and that is who our God is. Now, is that sufficient for a five-year-old? No. Because next question, a few days later, how old is God, and how come he doesn't have birthday? So I, I bought a book. Always, not, he can't read the book that I bought, but... Uh, this book is for mom, the, a, a theologian raising little children who wanted to, at the very young age, impress in their mind, not with terms of an adult, but with terms as a, to children, these theological questions. And thus, he wrote a book based on that level. And so I purchased that book, and uh, soon my grandson and his wife will have that book in their hand. It's a beautifully written book, the way he tried to get down on that child's level and ask those hard questions. You know, those are questions that we even today, we struggle with. This is God who is 
presenting this picture in the book of Malachi. Let me get my Bible open. Always helps to have an open Bible when you're preaching. But in this text, God is, theological term, immutable. What does that mean? Well, in no uncertain terms, it means that God doesn't change. That's a simple definition. Your God, who saved you through Christ Jesus, He's the same. He's the same in the days of Malachi as He was in the days of Isaiah or in the days of Abraham or in the days of Adam and Eve. He will be the same tomorrow in my life and your life. He's immutable. He cannot and He does not change. James uh, writes concerning God, James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He gives this warning. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, as comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is immutable. With God, there's no variation. There's no shadow of turning. I like what the NLT had to say of that. It says he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. A shadow, excuse me. He's always the same. He does not change. And so that's who is communicating this message to these Israelites. He's a God of all comfort. He's a God who makes promises, and His promises are yea, and yea, and yea. They do not fail. If He says something, you can count on that. Therefore, He says in this text, you're not consumed. Therefore, you sons of Jacob, you're not consumed. Uh, I look at this text, and I, I think of this text, the unchanging covenant that God has with Israel. Israel still exists. Go back to the book of Esther. There was a wicked man in the book of Esther. What was his name? Haman. Haman hated the Jews. He built a gallows for Mordecai to be hanged on. And had Satan had his way, Mordecai would have been hanged on. But God preserved his children, Israel. Haman's goal wasn't to get rid of Mordecai. Haman's goal was to get rid of every Jew that existed. That was his purpose. You think of, of Hitler. Hitler exterminated, we say, some six million Jews. I think of Iran today. Iran hates Israel. And uh, Israel will still be a nation long after Iran is gone, century after century, because God called out of the seed of Abraham the nation Israel. And they will continue throughout eternity. So if, if you don't like Jews, 
get over it. Because they're going to be around a long, long time. If, do you have an outline? I put them in the bulletins. If you don't have one, there's some more out there. In the, uh, but I like, to, I like to preach with an outline. I like for you to know where I'm going so that you will say, okay, he's getting close. You know what that means? I won't even answer that question. Now, I'm a propositional preacher. I believe that if I preach, I should ask the congregation to do something. And so that the, the proposition that I would have today from my text is this. Exercise faith that obligates God to fulfill His promises. You mean I can obligate God? You can. You can obligate God. And in this particular text here, there is... God lays it on the line for me. If you will do such and such, I'm obligated to you. Children of Israel, I'm obligated to you. I can't lie. I'm immutable. I'm perfect. I can't lie. Therefore, if you'll do such and such, I will do some things for you. So let's note three things this morning. Number one, God exposed three serious situations in their life. And when God exposes something, I am responsible to pay attention to what God exposes. Very quickly, these three things, first of all, was their disobedience. They lived as if God did not exist. Look at verse 7 of our text. Here the scripture says, Yet from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances. You've not kept them. So it was, it was a life that, of this nation that was living as though there was no God. And he exposed, secondly, that they were cynical about this. They were no longer sensitive to the will of God. Look at the rest of that verse. He says, return to me. I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And they say, look at that last phrase of that text. In what way shall we return? How can we come back to you? That was not a, that was not a, a, a question of inquisitiveness about their behavior. That was a question of God and putting responsibility on it. God, we're doing all we know to do. We're doing all we think we ought to be doing. Listen, that's a sad state of affairs that God's people are getting themselves into. These first two, a life of disobedience. God honors obedience. God loves obedience. His, his people, and he, he gives us the information to, to challenge us. First John that James was teaching this morning. Children, fathers, young men, love God. It's, it's a matter of obeying. And someone, it was Zach, he said that love, in essence, my word, not a choice. It's a will of the heart. 
I either choose to love God or I choose to push God away. And so these folk have pushed God out of their life. Let me say this. This is some 400 years before Jesus comes on the scene. Now, long before this had been the making of the world that Jesus was coming into, but in particular now, 400 years later, all that develops from this group of Israelites, Jesus faced. The Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, had changed the Old Testament Word of God to suit themselves and their lifestyle. The, the, the uh, Sadducees, Sanhedrin, they were the political group that literally hated the world that Jesus was coming into. And so when, when I see this question, how have we, how can we return to you? God, you don't even know what you're talking about. Boy, this, that would bring revival, would it not? If God's people were not cynical about serving God, but were with heartfelt compassion for God and conviction from God as to who He is. You know, I see that first question, disobedient. They live the life as though God didn't exist. I see that second, the cynical question. They were no longer sensitive to God. And I, I see these two. One is what an atheist would say. Atheists would look up to God and say, Ah, you don't exist. Why should I think of you? And then there are those who say God is their father. I would say they are practical atheists. God, you know, I do believe in you. I believe that you are. But I want to do my thing. Your will? There's no happiness. There's no joy in your will. I want my will. And I think that pretty well defines the people and two things that God has exposed in their life. What is the next thing? Chapter 3, verse 8. They robbed God. Verse 8. Bible says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, In what way have we robbed you? God says in tithes and in offerings. And so God exposed this third thing that they were guilty of, and thus they were, in essence, shorting themselves. I hope we can understand the principle. Now, listen, let, let me clarify some things right now. I'm gonna, I'll be preaching again while pastor's gone. I'm going to finish this message then. I'm not going to finish it today. I'm only dealing with half of a message of giving, okay? There's a major difference in giving in the Old Testament 
and giving in the New Testament. Giving in the Old Testament, understand this, is by command of God. God didn't say, thus and thus and thus. God said, obey me. And so, in Israel's time, they were disobeying God. New Testament. Come back to it a little while later on, but not in much detail. The Old Testament is based on law and obedience. New Testament, catch this, I like this. New Testament is based on grace and love. And so I say there, there are two different messages. When someone is speaking on the subject of giving, I'm preaching to you the Old Testament. There are a lot of patterns that we can find here that fit into grace. But right now, it's obey me because I command it. And so here's what they were failing to do. They were robbing God. Here's a quote that I found. Thus men rob God now. They keep back what belongs to Him. They cannot take anything from Him. Try to take something from God, okay? Can you do it? Anyway, let me finish the quote. And thus make Him poorer. Can you make God poorer than He is? You can't. It's impossible to make God any poorer than what he is. We, we often say he owns the cattle on the thousand hills. He owns not only the cattle on the thousand hills, he owns the hills as well. And so you can't, these people, Israel, I'll keep it in context, they couldn't take anything from God that would make him poor. They uh, could not give him anything that would make him richer. So let me get back to this quote. This is a good quote. Thus make him poor, as in the case of a man robbing God. But they can rob him by appropriating to their own use that which God demands. Remember, this is law. They can, they can re read that again. They can rob him by appropriating to their own use that which God demands. By acting, and I like the way this quote finishes up, by acting like Ananias and Sapphira of the New Testament. You know the story? Ananias and Sapphira, everybody giving, and it looks so good. Ananias and Sapphira said, yeah, we gave. Ananias said it first. Yeah, we gave it, we gave it all. What happened to him? He died. And they took his body out. The fire comes in. Yeah, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. He died. Now, the problem wasn't what they gave. The problem was that they lied about what they gave. And God judged them just that quickly. And they came, and their bodies were taken out. You know, just thinking through this quote, men rob God now by keeping back what belongs to him. They cannot take anything from him and thus make him poorer, as is the case of men robbing a man robbing a man. As, I, as I'm 
cut through in, in my study time. And I want you, I'm going to make a statement now, and I want you to understand it when I get further into this. What these people were doing, they were not honoring God with what God had blessed them with. And as you're going to see further in this chapter, in these verses, they were robbing themselves. God had it for them. And because they were not obeying, they were, they were defrauding themselves of what they could have had. So just hang on to that thought as we get further into this. Understand, actions have consequences. Verse 10. Look at this passage with me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. What would God do? I will not, see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive. Now, keep in mind, this is based on I'm going to preach the next message as based on love. And uh, so keep that, keep that, hold me to it when we get to that point. Actions. He says you are cursed with a curse. You ever heard the statement that uh, your money runs out long before the month does? Ever lived there? Many people live there. These people were living there. The sustenance that they needed, required for their family, the month went on. The money didn't. And so for Old Testament, tithing is a principle of obedience. And we find that God revealed this to them. Let me... Uh, read for you Haggai chapter 1 verses 3 through 11. It describes their lifestyle of these people perfectly. Haggai was somewhat of a contemporary with Malachi. Uh, excuse me, no, no further back. Uh, let me get my, my, my year straight, but listen to this. Haggai chapter 1 verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves? Haggai was a contemporary of Malachi. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell uh, in your paneled houses? And this temple, this was the temple that was in ruins to be rebuilt in Nehemiah, Ezra's day. And he asked these Fathers of many of these people that Malachi is addressing, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, good next words, three words, consider your ways. That's a message within itself, isn't it? Consider your ways. 
And here's the results of what they were doing. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. You know, every time I think of that text, we had to wear our pants as little boys so long. And I'm sure that uh, the material, the sewing, the manufacture wasn't quite what it is today, that our pants would have, pockets would have holes in them. You remember that? Little boys? Nobody but me? Evidently, my, my parents shorted me in my lifestyle. I'll have to talk to them about some of that. But you'd uh, drop your pocket knife, and, and men, we, we carry pocket knives, don't we? I see one or two of you reaching for your pocket. Make sure you got it today. You put something in your pocket, and right down your leg it would go. That was life. Well, this is what, this is what God is saying here. You earn wages, you put them into pockets with holes in it. And one of the translations literally says that. You put your money in your pocket, and it goes right down your leg. Verse 7, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, here's those three words again, twice in this text, Consider your way, go up to the mountains, and bring wood, and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. That's consequence. I blew it away, says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that is in ruins, while everyone runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine and the oil, and whatever the ground brings forth uh, on men and livestock and on the labor of your hand. So God says, you don't obey my word. You're cynical about what I ask you to do as though I don't exist, and you just rob me. And the results is, Haggai says it as well as Malachi, the ground doesn't bring what you want it to bring. So that was Israel's encounter and Israel's experience. Now, when God exposes a problem, He will always give us a solution. That's who He is. God is love. Emphatic statement, 1 John. James is doing a beautiful job with that. God is love. And God doesn't want to withhold anything from His children, Israel. And thus, if He makes a statement, as He did in the first of these verses, He likewise gives a solution, and there are two solutions here. The first one, He says, return to Me. Here I am. I've always been here. I called your father Abraham. 
I, I, I raised up Jacob. I gave you a leader like Moses. Return to me. That's a good thought. We could just about have revival on that. Who's the one making the proposal? He is the unchanging, immutable God. You know, will, will God be faithful to his people? He will be. Because there will always be a Jew on the face of the earth. Again, I've said that. If you don't like them, get over it. Because they're here to stay. God's going to, in the future, as a tribulation come in, and I, we, we need to pray. That's a prayer. Pray for the peace of Israel. Find that in the book of Psalms. Pray for the peace of Israel. We need to be praying that. But understand, Israel will be a nation. God will, Pastor made reference to this sometime back, the Edomites. Who are the Edomites? They're cousins to Israel. They did not meet Israel in the wilderness. They made war against Israel, and God said to the Edomites, I will extinguish you. And he did. The cousins. God said to Israel, I will make of you a mighty nation. And he will. So understand that God who makes his word Keeps his word. I think of Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I like this. I like it in the King James. The way King James says it better than New King James. But I don't have the King James in front of me, so I'll say it from the New King James. Paul asks, I say then, has God cast away his people? And the translators of the New King James said, certainly not. How does the King James say it? Has God cast away his people? God forbid. I like that. God forbid. So King James, you, you blew it there. You blew it there. New King James. God forbid. He loves his people. And he proposes, makes proposal. The desire for his children is, is to have sweet fellowship with his Children, this is the second thing that he proposes. One, uh, their unchanging father, come back to me, return to me, and I will have fellowship, sweet fellowship with you if you return to me. It reminds me of your first love. You remember your first love? Now, I'm Gentlemen, I'm talking about right now your real first love. Who was she? I mean, she was perfect in every aspect until you married. No, forget that. Forget I said that, all right? That's when the flaws come. But you don't see those flaws. The first. That's it. <laughs> I. I, I know my last love. Beloved, I can get emotional over that in a heartbeat. That was the true love. But, but follow this. Follow this New Testament example. There was 
a great church in the city of Ephesus. House churches, were they not? And we love, we love the book of Ephesians. You want a good outline for the book of Ephesians? Simple two, two thoughts. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is doctrine. Read those three chapters. Look what God forgiveness, salvation, all of that. So many beautiful thoughts, doctrine, other doctrines in there. Last three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, duty, duty, what you and I should be doing. So, read your Bible, read Ephesians that way. But go back to the church at Ephesus. They were a good church. I don't know what happened. But I go to the book of uh, Revelation and I find something changed there. They God had, God had a uh, he had a problem with all seven well with six of the seven churches. But what was the problem with the book of Ephesus, a chapter, the church at Ephesus? What was the problem? I have somewhat against you, he said. You have left your first life. You left your first life. Well, this is what, this is what Israel had done. They had left their first love. They were not giving to God as God promised that He would bless them if they did. And in this simple solution, God says, return to me, your first love, and I will return to you. Now, what were they to do according to verse 10 of our text? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Bring, it, bring your tithes into the storehouse. Tithes consisted of three different times that they had to tithe. It wasn't just a once and deal, once done deal. They had to bring the first fruits of their crops. They, they had to bring the animals for the ultimate sacrifice, the Passover lamb. So they had constantly these. These people, somebody has, has figured it up. I didn't take time, probably not smart enough to, take, to even do it. But somebody's taken time and has estimated that they weren't giving. God didn't ask 10% of them, but when you sum it all up, there's some 23%. Now, aren't you glad you're not under law? If God held you accountable, and you had to give him 23% off the top number before taxes. So tithing was not just an easy thing. But there's one difference too. There's a major difference in New Testament and Old Testament. And I'll bring some of these out when I get to the next sermon. Old Testament was somewhat a system of taxation too. Who did God separate from all the... There were 12... Twelve children, but one did not get a possession, did not get land. Who were they? Levi. Who is this book condemning? The priest. 
and the people. And so, it was somewhat of a, a, a system of taxation. It was a system that God supplied the Levites' sustenance. The eleven were out farming, raising their sheep or whatever, and they had to bring a tenth of all of that, their animals as well as their produce, had to bring it all to the temple. The Levites lived out of that. How would you like for the pastor to make all the finances? Uh-uh. I don't, don't put that on me. But the Levites were responsible for that. The, the tithe belonged to the Levite, to the priest. And so it's a different system. So that's why I say, I dare not, I dare not go and try to preach. I wanted to bring both systems in today, but I said, there's no way possible to do this. And so understand that God has a solution. He says, bring this into the storehouse. You want to know what condition the Jews were living in in that day? When uh, Nehemiah had left after building the temple, he was a construction manager over that project of the temple. They completed it. He went back to the king, made a report of the king that gave him the permission to go down. And the job was completed. Do you know what happened while Nehemiah was away from the land? Elisha was the high priest during that time. He moved into one of these storehouses. Let me say, these storehouses were built as a part of the temple, and that's where they put this bounty that the Israelites brought in. But he comes back and Tobiah the Ammonite. Elisha said, well, why don't you just move in this apartment? Nehemiah comes back after the work, the spiritual work that he had done, and he found that. Enemy of God who had mocked God, had mocked the building, of, had mocked the Jews. That's the world Jesus came into. Don't forget that. Okay? Isn't that a sad world? But that's the world Jesus came into. And Nehemiah threw him out. Storehouse. Okay? The storehouse was a place for uh, all of the goods that had been brought in. The Levites dispersed these goods wherever the need might have been. They lived out of these goods. That was part of their provision from God. Old Testament, all right? So make sure we understand that. Now, we see thirdly that God promised that He would reward their faith and their faithfulness. God always rewards them. Here's two words. He says, test. You like that? When it comes to being obedient with the finances and anything else in your world, God says test. Not in the same sense of the book of James, 
But he says, obey me, test me. I like this. I really do. What are you struggling with spiritually? Start your morning devotion. All of All right? Go back. Get the Word of God. Fall in love with the Word of God. And you'll soon love the God of the Word. Test me, he said. And see what I will do if you'll just prove me. He says, there will be an abundant supply of everything you need here in verse 10, the latter part. Test me. I suppose one of the greatest tests I ever had in my life, I was 24 years old, soon to turn 25. Beautiful wife, she's still beautiful. Oh, beautiful now she was. Still beautiful. Two little children. And God, I was reading the book of Ephesians one day, chapter 4, verses 11, following there. God called me to me. I had a great job. Out of a new plant that had opened, 1,200 employees, I was number 89 employees. Good you. And God says, I want you to be a pastor. I want you to be a priest. I said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. He said, trust me. Test me. My wife, Bobby, two children, with $400 in a 1958 Pontiac station wagon. It was pretty, red and white. Moved from lower South Carolina to Winston-Salem to start our education. We had it all mapped out. We had plans. Sonia was uh, been going on four years old at that time. Well, yeah, and, and Joel was only two. Okay. What, what are you going to do? How are you going to live? I was going to be the egghead, get all the academics. He was going to be the home provider. That was the plan. So, we get to Piedmont, we move in, Bobby goes and gets a job. Find a daycare, put those two kids in the daycare. They cried their eyes out from 8 o'clock in the morning, whatever time we delivered them, until Bobby picked them up that afternoon. Tried another daycare. Now, first and foremost, my wife was a mother. She was a mother. And she said, if God wants me to work, and we can't get these kids settled in, then God must not want me to work. With that whole first semester, I couldn't get a job. I couldn't find a job. We got to the point that we ran out of groceries. Now, uh, a daddy, a mama, and two little guys. I had 25 cents left in my pocket. I took that 25 cents, and back in that day, it would buy a loaf of bread, all right? Bought a loaf of bread, 
we had some peanut butter in the house. Joel, my son, still says today, if you're out of peanut butter, you're out of growth. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know it. Nobody at home knew that, what was going on. Fred Clifford. Some of you know Fred Clifford. He was my pastor at that time. Comes driving in from South Carolina. That very day, I bought a loaf of bread. He didn't know we had a need. He opens the trunk of his automobile and the home church had filled it with candy. Wow. That's God's provision. I did get a job that Christmas. That break. I got a job with McLane Trucking Company loading freight, unloading freight, both ways. And I did it for the next four and a half years. My church gave me, sent to us $15 a month. I sent my tithe back to them. 10% of everything that I made from McLean Trucking. I gave them more than they gave me. And listen to this. You people who are still paying college. When I graduate, I'd have to go into the business office and say, listen, I'll have the money. Just trust me. And they did. When I graduated, Piedmont owed me $44. I like that. Don't you guys who are still paying bills like that for your kids? Of course, there was different days, okay? But understand, beloved, what God says here. If you'll just trust me, trust me in this. And you notice here that the enterprises that you will undertake You'll be successful, the latter part here of verse 10. You test me and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. What God is saying here, what you undertake will be successful. When you put your plants, when you put your seed in the ground, they come up plants, a plague was the locust plague constant throughout this era of time. He says, I won't let the locust come. The devourer will not come to eat your crops. Your vineyards will just be beautiful, productive. I will, I will sew up the holes in your pockets. How many times did I, as a teenager, get needle and thread out and sew up the bottom of my pockets? And uh, God says, I'll sew them up for you. Where, you. where your month runs out before your money, I'll take care of it. That's what God is telling his Old Testament people. Just trust me, try me. And you know, I like what the results of it will be. Verse, verses 11 and 12. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now watch this. Here's the next blessing. Testimony. He says, verse 12, All nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Your testimony in the world 
will be sterling. You know, if there's one thing that uh, churches need, pastors need, deacons need, church members need, they need a good testimony. Amen? Israel, in the day of this text, if they had returned to God, the nations would have blessed them. What do the nations today do? They curse Israel. You see? Consequences? Consequences. They're hard to live with for the nation of Israel. Their reputation would be sounded out, not just locally. Notice he says throughout the nation. Wouldn't you like to live in a time of just pure revival? Awakening? Spiritual blessings flowing? People would envy, hey, you know, I think America had that, and I put it in those terms. Had that one time. But what have we done? We've turned away from God. We'd have we need to return to God. And we are no better off than the other nations around us. This is the failure of the church. Let me say that the church will fail. Not Trust not this local church, but the church universal will fail. The scripture tells us this. So what is it all based upon? Obedience. Do what I've covenanted with you to do. Bring a tithe into the storehouse. Now again, I want to be perfectly clear in the conclusion of this. I have to be clear. This is Old Testament that I'm talking about. There's a major difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant. What did I say earlier? I said earlier that blessings in the Old Covenant depended upon obedience. God didn't say if you, if you feel like it. So you'll just have to wait for me, okay? Till I get to the pulpit next time. Supposed to be in the pulpit Mother's Day, but pray about this. I, I'm, I'm going to get to go home, South Carolina. And uh, those of us who are, are around, my 64 high school proud. I'm looking forward to that. We didn't get to go when some of the others, because of Bobby's health, we didn't, couldn't travel. Didn't want to travel that distance. It's about a six-hour drive down there. But uh, keep in mind, New Testament giving is based on grace and your love. So we'll, 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 we'll hang on to that one. But what are some of the takeaways? How can I bring this and wrap it up? What is God, what is He exposed in your life today 
that you'd rather not be made. You see, God's wide open with Israel. Maybe God's exposed some things in your life. You just would rather not be written in holy writ. And I know there's a lot in mind. But what is he exposed today? Between you and God, what are the solutions of those things that God has exposed? What are the solutions? That if you obey, and I'm not necessarily talking about tithing, that God will change your circumstance. It can be any area of your life, but in particular, this was tithing for you. All right? Say this. Everybody gives. Everybody gives. And you know the, the best example we've got of everybody giving? That poor widow who dropped about two pennies in the box. Again, everybody gives. That's New Testament, all right? I'm not talking percentages. And then thirdly, how many things have you gone without and needed because you did not honor God with what God trusted you? What's missing? Maybe in the home, in the children, personal, that you did not take what God had given and honor him with. Still, principles that come. And I'm, I'm anxious to get to the New Testament. And I hope it can revolutionize. I hope this can help prepare you to see that everything you have, you're responsible. Everything you're responsible. What has God revealed to you today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the Word of God. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts going and coming both ways the heart. It measures my intent of what I think and what I say I'm going to do. God, I thank you. I pray that uh, grace will fall on this congregation. A living, lively grace that will create a love in us that is greater than when we came here this morning. Thank you, Father. Your blessings, man. In Christ, amen. Amen.